Hey all, and welcome back to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney. We're ending this week being joined by singer-songwriter Lyra Lynn. I'm so glad we were able to get this one scheduled. She's releasing a new album this Friday called On My Own. That's tomorrow, October 23rd. So I interviewed her a couple of years back when she was releasing her previous album, Plays Well With Others. That was for Wide Open Country, which it's probably up there still. So if you want to go read it, go check it out. Anyway, as I remember, I was in Riodoso and we spoke for about 20 minutes on the phone and she was just so enjoyable to speak with, so insightful and thoughtful and excited to share those songs. I just knew that I needed more time talking with her and probably more so listening to what she had to say at some point. And like that last time, speaking with her has just been so enlightening to the creative process. I think if you've listened to any of her songs in her rich catalog of music, you'll realize that She's not mailing any of this in. She's thought about these songs and herself as an artist and a storyteller. And of course, like the the multitude of reasons why she's a creator and, and obviously so many other things that are tied to the creative process and the industry at large. This new album, it's just so great. And it's incredibly important as well. For starters, as the title alludes, essentially every aspect of this album was done solely by her. The writing, the playing, the production, all of it. I think that's so bold and and honestly really brave. It's so easy to second guess yourself. It's so easy to talk yourself out of doing things simply out of fear. And that's obviously such a natural feeling. It's understandable. Now, on my own, it isn't a great album solely due to Lyra doing it all. I have to feel that deep down, had she done this album with a producer and with other musicians on it, maybe some other co-writers, whatever. It has still been a good and worthy effort. But make no mistake, some of that magic that Lyra comes across on this is because she was doing it all by herself. As one would say, necessity is the mother of invention. And there's just aspects of this album that wouldn't have happened the way they did without it being these conditions. Anyway, we touch on all of these in the interview, so I won't just rehash them again Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Soto. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas. And that's really why I love Desert Door so much. You may be asking yourself what exactly Soto is. Well, it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal. But for my money, It's a little bit more refined and smooth. There's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus. And it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka. At its core, Desert Door is authentically West Texas. They go out and harvest soto plants from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store. Grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs, which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So yeah, go follow those. Okay, I think that's enough housekeeping notes. Let's go and get on to the interview. Here is Lyra Lynn. Well, obviously, you have this new record going to be coming out in just a couple of weeks. And, you know, one of the big parts of this record is that it's all you, that you, um, there's no co-writes. There's, uh, it's all you producing, playing the instruments, everything. It's um, a singular vision, as you've put it. I guess, like, how important was it to, I guess, like, initially, was that always, like, the idea for this next record? Was it to be a just all you um, singular vision album? 
it wasn't really a plan of mine, actually. Um, I started recording just for fun. I had, you know, um, an inbox and had an idea and was inspired and had the time and um, really enjoyed doing it by myself. Before I started working on this record, I'd worked with several different uh, producers and co-writers and was really trying to find the the right um, collaborative partner for my next album. And I just, nothing felt quite right to me. I feel like there were a lot of hurdles. And, you know, one day I just thought, I'm going to just try something to see how this goes. I had very little gear um, especially on the recording side. I didn't have drums, you know. I had a few guitars and some amps, and um, and that's about it. And um, I had such a great time recording that song that I did another one, which was just recently released called Let Me Tell You Something. Um, still no drums. I was using uh, paint canvas for a, a kick drum sound, for instance. And... I kept working in that way. I think I did three songs and then I spoke to uh, a producer who will go unnamed um, and said, you know, I'm actually having some success recording on my own right now. And um, I think I'm going to keep, keep chasing this. And, and he told me that he thought that was a big mistake. And I don't know if that's because he, wanted me to work with him or <laughs> if he really thought that I would fail at doing it. But regardless of, of his motives, um, I really felt even more inspired to, to do it myself. And, um, I think, you know, as I continued with the process, it, it became important to me to demonstrate to other women who might be inspired to do the same thing to do it, that you can do it because, um, through my career, I've had a lot of, a lot of people saying, you know, um, no, you shouldn't do X, Y, or Z, or you can't make these decisions on your own, you know, different things like that. So Mm -hmm. it was very liberating in that way and, and an important point for me to make. Yeah. Like it, what I was wondering is, you know, how, uh, like you mentioned, like the, just kind of like having the lack of gear, um, the lack of, because obviously you're a front woman and, um, in Americana country, whatever we want to call this, you know, the, the traditional instruments are always acoustic guitar or piano. That's just kind of how songs usually start off. And, um, you know, I, I guess I was reading on one of your posts about how you, you did start out with a lot more trying to figure out like the drum machine, drums and um bass lines and like starting from that angle and i was wondering like if that was like because of uh of necessity because of the 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 nature of the album or if that was just something that you'd always kind of wanted to go that route or experiment with that well it's it's the same approach to songwriting as as um you know like top lining and like pop pop song mm-hmm. writers will often do you know with I know you know, but for other people who are listening, um, you know, they, someone will build a track and then a, a, a singer or songwriter lyricist will come and write the lyric and the melodies over the track that's already there. It's just a different way of doing it. Ultimately for me, I, I, I feel like the acoustic guitar at this point, um, and that is largely based on, on my lack of knowledge of the instrument. Um, at this point, it, it limits me, um, I, and I feel like it, it steers me into writing a certain kind of song. With with drums and bass um, as the basis for the song, I, you know, I, I feel like it gives me so many different possibilities. And also, you know, Americana genre is such an interesting relationship i think for all artists i don't think any artist really likes being put into a genre Mm -hmm. um and americana in particular has sort of chosen me um 
just through the process of touring and having to present my music in a limited way, you know, opening for other artists and stuff like that. And, oh, we don't want electric guitars. We, we, we won't allow amps or drums on the stage for the opener. Or I can't afford to fly a full band over to, you know, Europe to do my first tour. We'll just take acoustic guitars, you know, to simplify things. And slowly um, I kind of fell into that that niche. But But that's not really where I would categorize myself. So um, it was important for me to push that boundary with this record too. And I, and I do think starting with the, the drums and the bass helped me break out of that even more. Yeah. I mean, like for me as I like, I understand both sides of the, of, of the genre thing, because, you know, I, at the end of like, I guess like in the, the original intentions of any kind of genre label was to help listeners understand what, what they're listening to, I guess. But at the same time on your end, yeah, it is very much a putting people in boxes. And, you know, the more I think you talk with artists more, the more you talk with bands and songwriters and, and everything like that, you, the less you, they think of themselves, or you, I guess like what I've realized is you guys think of y'all of yourself less as, oh, I'm a certain kind of songwriter and more, or even just as a songwriter, I'm just an artist. And, um, that is obviously like, that's just such a blank canvas for, for people to understand. But, um, well, it's all related to marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think marketing, you know, there's a, there's an old school thought to the music business that, um, we are very quickly leaving behind us. Um, you know, every, everything is everywhere now with the internet. And I think that the genre did serve a purpose, um, in a time when the only way you found out about music was through a magazine ad or the radio, you know, just to know where, like which station you should be played on. But these days it seems a little antiquated to me, the concept of genre. I mean, now, if somebody tells me about a new artist, I'll say, you know, what what's it like, you know? And I'm expecting them to drop some genres and maybe, you know, this artist cross with this artist, you know. But it is still frustrating because I think people kind of, fans can get married to a genre and mm-hmm. come to expect an artist to stay within that genre. And some people will feel betrayed by you if, if you don't you know, continue creating art within those confines. Yeah. But, but I do think those days are, are, are trailing behind us. Don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, also at the same time, like as a journalist, um, the, the one, the thing that I would like more than anything is people to read the article that I've written about said artist, because I feel like that's a way better descriptor than calling someone country or Americana or, a rock and roll songwriter or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is like leaning on those kind of things. Um, that's the, the way. And also like you mentioned like how it limits a, a fan base or a listener. It, it goes, I think like maybe the best example of that is you have like a lot of these diehard fans who don't listen to quote unquote top 40 music or top 40 country. And, they're limiting themselves to some great artist that maybe they would like if they were just, uh, if that wasn't right in front of their name, you get what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So, like, Oh, I don't like metal. Yeah. So they don't ever even listen to the artists in, in that category. This episode is in part brought to you by Austin, Texas's wild gallery, a virtual art gallery featuring traditional and contemporary art by native American artists. As you're probably aware, I'm not just a avid fan of music and film and novels. I absolutely love visual art as well. And as you probably also know, if you've been listening to New Slang for a while, you'll know just how often songwriters, they also dabble in various other mediums and are largely also inspired by other artists. One of the giant reasons I was drawn to Wild Gallery is that all the art is produced by Native American artists, not only produced by but inspired and influenced by other Native American artists, history, tradition, nature, stories, music, and just culture in general. If you head over to wild.gallery, that's 
yld.gallery, you'll see exactly what I mean. I've spent probably an hour scrolling and clicking through the various pieces. There's just some incredible pieces featured and such a vast array of styles as well. Everything from newer pieces inspired by both like the American West and a bright and bold pop art feel to more traditional fine art oil on canvas paintings. And then obviously there's plenty of pieces inspired by Native American traditions as well. Like I mentioned earlier, they're currently a virtual gallery. What's so great about that for you is that you're able to purchase these pieces from anywhere. And with Christmas coming up, they'd make perfect gifts. Talk about just like one of a kind, unique, and probably more importantly, well thought out gifts that'll excite anyone from your parents, your grandparents, your in-laws, siblings, yourself, really just whoever. And also I'll be perfectly frank, it's time we have this talk. With everyone working at home these past few months, I've been on so many Zoom calls and I've seen so many Zoom call screenshots on social media, and we really need to talk about some of y'all's home office spaces. Too often, it's just that generic desk, maybe a poster that you had from college, uh, maybe a calendar or like a whiteboard that you write on, and just those bare, bland walls. I'm just saying, we've all been there, but like right now would be the absolute perfect time to fill those walls with some great art. Go visit Wild Gallery and order a handful of these paintings that'll just really spruce up your background and make you look a little bit more adult and lively. When you're surrounded by art, you're more productive, you're more creative, and let's just face it, you're more happy. For me, that's why I fill up my walls with different art because obviously you walk by them multiple times a day and you're able to like just take those little moments. You're able to appreciate all that effort and energy that was put into the art and Hopefully that kind of inspires you to go on and do more stuff in your day. Again, that's wild with a Y. I'll throw a link into the show notes as well as share some of my favorite pieces on Instagram and Twitter. I already have a few earmarked because I'll be ordering them soon myself. Again, that's Austin, Texas's wild gallery featuring a blend of traditional and contemporary art by some of the most gifted Native American artists. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, well, getting back onto the record, and because I'm really interested in the, in I, I guess like exploring those, uh, the other ways that you were, these the songs I guess originated, where you're you are list, you're you're figuring out other instruments to, to begin songs. Was that like just a, obviously like a, a refreshing way of approaching a song, or had, like have you have you done this in the past, or like what what I guess like what was. What's been, what have you thought about that as far as like, kind of like, you know, looking back on how a lot of these songs started? It's funny. I'm, I'm, I, you know, some of them were so embarrassingly easy to write <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with this approach. Like I'm, I'm hesitant to, to pull the curtain back. Much. <laughs> um, no, you know, I think, Gosh, it was, it, it really helps to have um, a room all to yourself and be able to record and have unlimited time. And you don't have to worry about studio fees or someone else's opinion. And you can just throw paint on the canvas. And if you don't like it, paint over it, you know? Um, for some of these songs, I just. I don't, I would just go into the studio every day. That was part of my process. I forced myself to work every day from like 11 to five with a lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just start with something, you know, I would start like I had a, I borrowed a Mellotron from a friend. I would just find a sound that I thought was cool, for instance, or maybe I would, um, start with a drum machine, or maybe I would build a loop myself with some samples that I was recording myself, um, and just follow it. I mean, having no plan was was the most liberating aspect of the whole process. Um, and then when it came time to write lyrics, you know, I would just think about topics. I tried to write about things that I haven't written about which is hard because ultimately it all comes down to love and death. But, <laughs> um, you know, like with, let me tell you something. Um, that song is, is about a conversation I had with my father 
when I was in college where he was, he was lecturing me and telling me um, not only was my, my major in anthropology a mistake, but also trying to pursue anything creative as a career was a mistake because the chances of failure are really high. And, and he, he was right. And I understand where he was coming from, but um, I really liked the idea of writing a song about that <laughs> and releasing it. Um, then there's another song on the record called Isolation that's it's just kind of about technology and how it is killing our ability to relate to each other and how we're all living in a virtual world, which is especially true now. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Um, I wrote Isolation before the pandemic, but um, now I'm, I'm really grateful for it <laughs> because it's kind of our only, you know, communication line to the outside world. That is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Um, but yeah, those are, those are definitely songs that I wrote the track for, kind of top-lined. And then, and then there was a song called Make You Okay that just fell on me. Um, it just happened, and that was with a guitar in my hand. And I think you can hear that in the song, even though it's not um, acoustic guitar-based, but that's how it was it was written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it... What I what I what I love so much about this is because I think all of the you, you starting these songs or primarily starting a lot of these songs with drum machines and uh, different instrumentations they add all that texture to a lot of these songs that if I was just telling someone that you were putting out a new record that you self produced and played all the instruments I think the majority of people would just think it's an acoustic guitar solo album like like that style. And this is, you know, not that at all. I feel like you, you still have so much of those vibrant dark tones, um, that you've kind of heard in a lot of your, your songs. And, um, I don't know. I, I've just, I find that just to be, um, a like refreshing, like that you, you didn't necessarily just go down the, what I think what most people would think that would be a quote unquote, I did everything album. Um, so yeah, um, I wanted to go back on to the, uh, the song that you're talking about, the conversation with your father, you know, um, was that kind of like a, an idea that you've had forever that you were like, this is a song. I don't know if I'm right to, I'm ready to write it. Or was this like a new revelation to like, Oh, you know what? That would actually be a a great song. Well, it's a thought that's always been in the back of my mind because, um, well, for a number of reasons. I did get a degree in anthropology and I did pursue and I am pursuing a career in music. Um, and I, you know, I, I always hear him saying, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. And I sometimes think, I, I wonder where I would be if he had been supportive of that vision instead, if I would be any further down this path. Um, but I definitely have have wanted to write about it hadn't figured out how um to write about that like you can't you can't sing a song like my dad once said to me you know it's like (laughs) so I decided to have it to have the conversation um be written from his perspective Mm -hmm. and I think that is is just um confusing enough for the listener to maybe keep them engaged because if I'm listening to it I I can see how one would easily interpret the chorus as being, you know, real advice. And it, and it is multi-layered, you know, because he did have my best interest at heart. He wanted me to have a good job and make money and, you know, be self-sustaining. You know, that was his main concern. But the part that he was missing is that ultimately, if you are fighting against your passion, you're never going to be happy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's a very, um, like I'm very empathetic on, on his side of things too. You know what I mean? Like it's, um, and I think that's like an important aspect to kind of understand is, is understanding both sides of, um, the, the story, I guess the conversation that, as you put it, the, it's, it's important to understand like 
that it wasn't out of, you know, the, I guess like, it wasn't out of cruelty, I guess. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times we can think of it that way. Um, I, what I think is really interesting too about that is how, you know, sometimes songs, song ideas, um, they come to you when you're ready to write them versus even mm-hmm. though you've maybe had them for a while. Um, and I, I guess like, it feels like now was like, just like the right time for you to write that. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously also oh, this is like coming off of kind of like a 180 off of your last record where, you know, it was so much about collaboration what like what did you now now like looking back do you, do you feel like what did what did you learn out of like you know co-writing and collaborating with all these other artists that have i guess maybe helped i guess push this record has there been anything like that that's a really interesting question um just because they're so different the process is so different but mm-hmm. i'm sure there were some lessons from the collaborative album that i used in this record um, you know, writing with several different people really forced me to learn how to let go of my own ideas. Um, because everyone's writing style is different and everyone's, you know, method of processing other people's ideas is different. Some people are like highly rejective um, or, or insistent that their ideas be used. And some people just sort of wait for you to make the suggestions. But regardless of who you're writing with and how they write, I, I think I learned you just have to be ready to let go of everything. And um, I think that did free me up in a big way for this record. I you know, was never married to any of the ideas, any of the lyrics or melodies or even tracks. There's several tracks that I worked you know, for weeks on that ultimately didn't make the cut. And, um, you know, all artists go through that when they're making records, but, um, somehow doing it all on my own, (laughs) it was a little bit more difficult for me to let go of those things. But, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned from plays well with others project. Yeah. Like it's very, um, like letting go of something is, is very difficult, obviously. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I find that so it's because I, I guess like in part, like that's at the core, like kind of why you started playing to begin with in a way is, you know, trying to share these ideas and then like, um, you just don't want to give up on them necessarily. You know what I mean? And, yeah. um, yeah, I think that's just really that I guess like that struggle of figuring out if it's just um if it's a lost cause or not. Um Yeah. But that's that's really challenging when you're working by yourself. Yeah. I can, see that's I love like the the I guess like the idea of like you like you said, you know, you're going into the studio and like I hate to say the word force, but like forcing yourself to like work X amount of hours a day and do that daily. Um, I love like personally, like I love just like kind of being by myself and working on stuff by myself. But on the other side, it's very, very easy to start second guessing yourself and kind of being like lost in the woods and just being unsure of what you're doing and kind oh of, Oh my gosh. Going, yes. Is this even, worth I mean, it? you know, so go ahead. Oh, I just kind of like you get lost out there and kind of go, am I doing this right? Is this, is this worth it? Like you just hear yourself, uh, second guessing yourself constantly. Yeah. I I, I think, I think that was a huge part of the process for me, um, too, was just kind of like regular meltdowns. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I started painting during this process. I mean, I, I started painting, um, started paintings previously in my life but while I was working on this record I found that it was really helpful for me to go paint when I when I reached those points of uncertainty when I started to second guess my decisions and intuition I would paint and try and switch my brain over completely kind of like 
palate cleanse my brain and then go back and listen to what I had done. And that really helped me gauge whether or not I was on the right track. And I'll say that, you know, also, um, I have to credit a couple of my friends that I would have listened to stuff once I thought it was mostly done and, and just gauge their, um, their experience listening to it on, on how good it was. And, um, that, you know, if you can't really create in a complete vacuum. Um, so gosh, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing. Cause I think a lot of people have this ideal of artists creating with, without ever considering what other people will think or how other people will hear it, but mm-hmm. you're making music for other people to listen to. I mean, I guess in, in, in a certain phase of the creation process, you're making music just for catharsis or because it feels good or whatever. Um, that being completely for yourself, but, but eventually if you're doing music, um, as a career, you know, that other people are going to listen to it. And and at some point you do have to consider that a little bit, although I tried really hard not to, um, it's a, that's another complex relationship, just sort of projecting other people's experience into your music. Yeah. Well, it's very, I mean, I think we all kind of love the, the romanticism of the artist, right? Um, but it's so hard to work in those absolutes. Like, like you, it's hard, like you mentioned just a second ago, the vacuum. It's hard to, to just create in that vacuum and just uh, not take into account if it's, for lack of a better term, listenable or if it's relatable. Um, or yeah, in the case of this record, the song, like, let me tell you something, I think most people would say, well, that doesn't really go with your other music. So no, (laughs) (laughs) that's a perfect example of, of, um, of how, you know, freeing yourself from that can open different doors. This episode is in part brought to you by the blue light live here in Lubbock, Texas. There is a way to help a support blue light and b get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com clicking on the merch tab and getting some koozies a vast array of t-shirts and caps and yes even a blue light flag while it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now i'm telling you by getting some blue light live merch you're gonna feel better it just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar again that's bluelightlubbock.com click on the merch tab get some merch all right back to the episode yeah you know you mentioned painting i was actually going to bring that up because i saw on your instagram that you had shared a, a painting that was um i think like as you put it like it was inspired by a light comes through and mm-hmm. you, you kind of already touched on it like being a a palate cleanser a a way to stop if if you if you hit that wall to just take a break and um work on something else that eventually kind of helps you out um like i guess like can you expand on that like what was like when did how did you get back into painting and like how did you realize this is something that is um is part of the creative process as a whole I love painting because there is zero pressure around it for me. There's, you know, I never have to share it with anyone. I don't have to produce a certain amount, you know, and, and painting is another one of those things that I go into with zero plan in mind. Um, I, I, there's something really thrilling about just painting. Just there's this kind of, um, adrenaline rush at the very beginning when I just kind of start throwing paint on there and just watch what happens and really follow where the paint leads me. Um, I think it was important for, for this album process because I would use it to sort of go deeper into the feeling that I was trying to portray in the song or the, the, the feelings that I was trying to explore and illustrate through the song. Um, in a different medium. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of sound like a new age weirdo. <laughs> no, I, I, I think um, it's all like, I think a, like it challenges listeners to, or like just listeners in general, not necessarily listeners on my podcast, but listeners in general to like, think of these songs as bigger than just the songs. Um, but then also I think like it, it, I don't know. I, I think, um, it kind of goes, uh, goes back to that whole genre thing that I was just talking about ago, a minute ago not like limiting yourself to just being quote unquote a, a songwriter, even though, as you just said, you know, you don't have a quota or anything like remotely close to that when, when it comes to painting, but it does help the, does help out. Yeah. Gosh, you know, just looking back on it, there's so much goes into every song. I mean, for most, you know, songwriters, good, good songwriters. I think, you know, it can be years of experience and, Mm-hmm. and it's just so much work and so much emotion and, and thought goes into making that three and a half minutes as as succinct and compelling as possible yeah like it's and that's also it what i love talking about is and that's kind of like one of more one of my more bigger things is the the romanticism of writing where sometimes i think we also think of you guys as the, the writing of the song is only when you pick up the guitar and start strumming and you start writing down the words. And that's almost like just like the smallest part of the process. It's like all those hours that you've been kind of thinking about the song that it's been kind of marinating and yeah, you've been like kind of pulling the car into the garage after you've been driving for five days or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I find that really interesting. And I guess, like, you know, again, like, kind of the perfect example of that is, uh, let me tell you something, because, like, you've kind of been thinking about that for a while. One of the things I want to... Yeah, or Make You Okay is another good example of that, too. Just that 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 experience of wanting to fix someone that is really hurting mm-hmm. emotionally. That, you know, this, I was writing from a child's perspective and, and from my, my own perspective as an adult, but... Gosh, I mean, I have been meditating on that idea my entire life and trying to stop fixing people too, you know, it's, it's a, it's a deep one. Yeah. Well, that's, um, what I was going to say is also just on, on, let me tell you something. You have like that little, like cough, um, that little like clearing of your throat, I guess, like Mm -hmm. where the, the second verse starts. I, I, I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that, but like, I like as far as what it can represent and everything, but I just really love that moment because it's, to me, it's kind of like a really real, but it also, as a listener, you kind of like get, if you, if you've zoned out a second, it, it makes you go back and listen. Uh, what, <laughs> I, I guess like what, what, for that right there, like what was, what went into like adding that, I guess, or like having that as a part of the song? Yeah, I, I feel like I was trying to embody a certain character for that, and it just happened. And I was like, oh, yeah, that that works. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I played it for my boyfriend, he was like, oh, are you going to take that out? <laughs> like, he thought it was a mistake. And I was like, nah, I'm leaving it in there. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, I, what I love about it is it, it is a little bit of the um, – like the authority figure, I guess. Like I can remember my mom like trying to get my attention back by doing like a cough like that or like, you know what I mean? Or a teacher or mm-hmm. something. So like, I think it's a very, it works for that character as you, as you say. So. Yeah. Um, it's been fun as, as I, as I'm getting older and um, feel a little bit more comfortable, slightly more comfortable in my own skin. It's been, it's been fun to explore things like that and not feel so restricted. Like I have to be a certain way, sing a certain way or always be the same kind of character singing in songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, I I don't know. What I think so interesting is the, and I, I guess like it's, it's really tied to what you're just saying there is like the, projection of like the idea of of who you are as an artist i guess like that happens for y'all as well as like who am 
who, how do I, who, who is Lyra Lynn as a, as an artist? And, um, can we do those things? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that's another big reason why I ended up making this record by myself. I, I think I was really looking to a collaborator, a co-producer or co-writer to help me state my identity with this record because I did do a duets record last and it's time for me to say, okay, here's my music. This is who I am. Um, and I ultimately felt like I, I couldn't ask someone else to, to show me that, <laughs> that path, you know, that's, that's, that's something you got to find on your own. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I find that so just uh, like, just an, an interesting thing that, or an interesting conversation about, about the artist, because I, um, I guess like just the, and a lot of time, a lot of times when, when you think about an artist, you think of them as like just knowing who they are, um, already, like they're confident, like this is like what I do. And, um, these songs are about me and all that, everything that's attached to that. But obviously it's a lot more complex than that. Um, the more you, talk with people, the more you realize that there are anxieties that are attached to that. And there's a lot, they're not necessarily all, um, a lot, there's a lot more, I guess, introverts as artists than there are probably, um, extroverts. And sure. so I, I don't know. I, 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 there was a point I was going to make about that, but go ahead. I, it helps me to, to remind myself that every record is just a snapshot of mm-hmm. where you are at that point in life, that no one record defines any person or any artist. I mean, how can 10 songs define a person? You know, it's like if you ask any person, any, anyone, any music listener in the world to find yourself in 10 songs, nobody can do that. You know, like there's just too, everyone's too complex and has had too many experiences and, feelings and um i think for me at least letting go of that idea of of a record defining me was really liberating you know and i think that it allowed me to do a lot of things i wouldn't have done otherwise and honestly that that approach was what was disabling the process for me Mm -hmm. earlier on yeah, uh, I I kind of remember what I was gonna say. It's it relates to exploring all those other instruments and starting songs out differently. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, like is was that? I think for a lot of people, I guess. Let me backtrack. For a lot of people, picking up a new instrument um, can be intimidating. You as an artist who's already been doing this for a while, is it is it the same feeling of? maybe intimidation when exploring a, an instrument that you're not necessarily familiar with, or is it more, I don't know, like, is it more just like, Oh, this is something new that I can explore or is it both? It's it's a little both. Yeah. I mean, I, at one point in the process, I thought, okay, well I'm going to have so-and-so come and play drums on this and -and so-and-so play guitar. And, um, and then I was like, no, I should just, try it myself i mean i live in nashville and pretty much everyone who plays instruments in this town is a badass you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so um the idea of me picking up a bass in the studio with other people and saying like let me track this bass part is way intimidating because everyone in the room is 10 times the bass player that i am you know um i don't think i would have had the balls to do it if i if there'd been people around and, you know, even now, like, listening back to it, I'm like, oh, God, how are all the bass players going to think my bass parts? <laughs> you know? um, but, yeah, it, it is intimidating, new instruments, for sure. And and what's even more intimidating, what I found even more intimidating was um, just learning to navigate Pro Tools and miking techniques and yeah. how to set preamps and compressors and... You know, I had no idea really what I was doing. I mean, I, I've had limited experience making records and watching other people do the work. And, you know, like, I'll, here I'll help set the level, but um, 
YouTube was really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> How much was just watching YouTube? <laughs> yes. Every day, like, ah, help YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that like that's very relatable to what a lot of people are doing with during this quarantine time is because um, I've talked with a lot of people about how, oh, you know, I've started doing this. I started doing this. I started playing, you know, um, Zoom shows and I've been playing on Facebook or Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in theory, a lot of that is very, very easy. And it is fairly easy if you just want to like start playing in front of a, uh, Your iPhone? A, yeah. Um, but also like then you as a, as an artist, you, a lot of people have been going, Oh, you know, let's make it, let's, let's set up mics and let's set up lights and let's do all this stuff. And then it's like, you know, actually there's a lot more of a learning curve that, than I was, uh, I guess I'm like, really yeah. glad that you said that because I want people to, to know who are listening, how much work goes into the, these live stream shows that people are doing. Mm -hmm. It is, it is actually really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to get Facebook to work, for instance, for a live stream is, is a whole mind fuck. And then you put on top of it, like miking and, and, and getting all of the hardware to work together so that you're getting the mic sounds into the computer and into the live stream. It's not simple. You know, I feel like some, some people are like, Oh yeah, why don't you just, record a video of yourself singing a few songs for this or that. And like, you kidding me? That's going to take days of work. It's not, <laughs> it's not just like, cool. Let's just crush play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've also say when you're watching the live stream thing, keep that in mind. People are working really hard behind the scenes to bring you that. Yes, exactly. Like uh, when I say it looks easy, it's because like in theory you go, Hey, let's just play. Um, we'll, We'll just set up a, a live stream. It'll be easy. And yeah, you're then, at home. Then you don't it's have like, to drive anywhere. It's all that other stuff that goes where it's like, uh, I was talking with someone that they were saying how, you know, they set up and like another thing that people underrate is if you have like lighting and how hot yeah. that can be. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, I guess like they were, they had set up and they they had done a few shows once a week kind of thing and how, um, you know, they finish a song and they lean in and like they're reading some comments. And one of the comments was, you know, oh, it sounds awful. Can you guys do blah, 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 blah. And it's like, um, it's probably like the shitty like microphones on your end. You know what I mean? Like they didn't say that, but it's like it, you, if you knew how much it was that we, how much time and process it was to set all this up you would realize that it's probably like you listening to listening to this stream on your phone and yeah, not it's, because it's actually like, far easier and far more fun to go set up at a venue and play a show. Yeah. Take that any day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, I think that very much relates to what you're talking about as far as learning how to the trial and error of, of recording yourself and making it right. So I think it's, it's very relatable. I wanted to talk to y'all one more time about our new partners at Desert Door and offer up a handful of my favorite ways to drink it. Get you a Mexican Coca-Cola, have a couple of swigs, then pour yourself some Desert Door Oak aged in, toss in a lime wedge or two, or how about this? Pour some Desert Door into a mug, top off the glass with some ginger beer, squeeze in a lime, or for all you ranch water drinkers out there, get you a Topo Chico, take a couple of pulls off, and then pour in some Desert Door. Toss in a couple of lime wedges, and now you have a mighty tasty and refreshing ranch water. Remember, Soto is as versatile as vodka and has a more refined, smooth, and a more complex palate than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and, and whatever your go-to drink is, it'll make it that much better. And again, it's inherently West Texas. It tastes like home. For more info on Desert Door, check our show notes. All right, that's it for Thomas Mooney's Cocktail Minute. Let's get back to the show. One of the things I was wanting to, I guess, circle back on is how does this relate to, like, when you're first starting out initially in your career as far as becoming a quote-unquote singer-songwriter? Since for most people, when you start out, it is just you 
an instrument, your words, singing? Such an interesting, interesting question. I've recently been going through or looking for photos of myself playing music at the very beginning for a project that I'm working on. And um, I've been reminiscing a lot and and just looking back on myself then and how um, just naive (laughs) and free I was in the whole thing Um, and how I never considered... This that I never considered when I was releasing music that this is forever now. Like this music, as long as we're here, the, this music is going to be there. It's going to be somewhere accessible, um, which can completely disable you <laughs> creatively if you if you really let that sink in too far. But um, you know, I, I I look back on my old music and I think. Gosh, you know, she 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 had something to say, I guess, but um, I really had no direction. You know, I I really couldn't. I really had no plan, and, and there's something to say for that too, I guess. But um, gosh, it just seems like it takes so long. It takes so much work to even begin to understand the subtlety of songwriting and how how much impact three words can have, you know, in a lyric and how much impact one chord change can have in this, in the feeling of a song or, um, gosh, I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just now on the tip of the iceberg of that. Whereas before I was somewhere far out in the ocean, you know, in the tropics. Um, there's still so much to learn. I think maybe I thought I was a better songwriter than than I was, and and um, and thought I was better than I than I am now. Although I know that I'm a better songwriter now. But do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No. It's um, so this is going to be like a weird comparison. I think I've made this comparison before, but um, so like in professional sports, like I'm a big basketball fan. Uh, I love the NBA and. Um, one of the things that they talk about as far as like a, a a player in the NBA is when you're obviously when you're like 18, you're like at really like the peak of your athletic powers, right? You can mm-hmm. do all kinds of amazing athletic things. But the reason why like rookies and second and third year players don't win championships is because they don't have the experience, right? They don't have the, they're not, um, they don't have all the fundamentals and all the tricks of, of knowing how the game really works. And mm-hmm. you don't learn those until later on. And like, after you've made plenty of mistakes. Yeah. And, and what's funny about all that too. And like, maybe it's a, the tragic aspect of it is like, by the time you learn all those really great things to, to, to win all the winning plays, if you will, you know, all of your athleticism is steadily declining. And so your prime for most players is between the years of like 28 and like 31, 32. And then, you know, it soon falls off after that. But like, so in comparison or applying that to, to artistry, you know, when you start off, you're, you're so full of the, I guess like that, um, being naive, as you mentioned it, because like, you don't know any better. Right. And so then, like, once you start understanding, wow. A, the industry, understanding artistry, understanding yourself better, you you do look back and go, oh, man, like, who is that person? Or, like, that person was really bold and didn't necessarily know um, as much as you do now. And so it's this weird thing where you kind of, you're better, um, but maybe, like, also what kind of gave you the the boost early on was being so naive to all of just to everything. And I think that you can apply it to not just artistry, but just really any field. Absolutely. I think that's why when you encounter a young artist who, who is subtle and understands all of that stuff about music, it's just so mind blowing. It's like they've they've lived, 
you know, a hundred lives before or something, when you can combine wisdom and virility, you, know, <laughs> you get something amazing that's so rare. And we're all kind of fighting against aging, you know, especially in the entertainment industry and especially as a woman. It's a really big part of it. Um, I mean, that's kind of an odd segue, but that's that's something that, you know, is always in the back of my mind, too. I feel like that's changing, though, for, for mm-hmm. a lot of younger women. And um, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Well, l- let's talk about that because I think, A, it is important. And, two, um, yeah, there is, I feel there is at the very minimum, I guess, like, more dialogue about it. Um, there's more, I guess there, there's more, I, I hate to say the word accepting, but like there's, I don't know if there's an, a better word for it. There's more understanding, I guess, uh, from, um, like just your average, I guess, like white guy. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and, I feel like but, marketing has, has sort of invaded our minds for many years, you know, like being older is not marketable. Aging is not marketable. Um, being pregnant is not marketable. Um, not wearing makeup, you know, it's like all of these things have been fed to us for so long. And I see the younger generation really refusing to, um, to follow those norms. And I'm really Mm -hmm. glad for it. I've something that I've had to face head on this year because I've just had a baby Mm-hmm. And that's something Congratulations, that I have, by the way. have feared doing my entire career. I mean, I, I have had this idea that if I have a child, I am, I, my, my, my career will, will be over because I will no longer be, you know, fuckable as it were. Um, I'll be a mom, which is not cool. <laughs> it's not <laughs> rock and roll. Um, I sound super cool when I say rock and roll too. So I just wanted to slip that in. <laughs> and, um, um, but no, I, I'm, I, I was so inspired by Beyonce's performance at the Grammys when she was pregnant with twins. She was like, fuck it. I'm going to get on stage with this giant belly and I'm going to absolutely dominate and totally sit in my power as a mother because it is completely magical the whole thing that happens is it's just mind-blowing just just to see a woman get up there and do that i think reset everything for us yeah well Uh, i i I don't know it's such a obviously there's the double standards of it and i don't know I, i just um i guess it's easy on for a lot of people to just play the the ignorant or naive card on this um, because sometimes you just don't like you don't think about it or you're not thinking about it and i i don't think of that as necessarily an excuse on like for my for even myself but like maybe an explanation on like oh you know well that's why i've not really thought about that cuz it's not a, necessarily a problem that that's for me. You get what I'm saying? And it's sure, like, it's not, it's, an experience, not a yeah, personal experience um, of your own. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. I, I find like, like you said, like with the Beyonce or there's a, one of my friends here in Texas, her name is Jamie Lynn Wilson and she is a, an artist and a, a mom and she's been playing um, throughout her career while having a few kids. And I think like, a lot of people have seen her do that and go, Oh, you know, like it, maybe I, you know, I don't have to stop being a, a musician all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, um, I, I think like that's, even though like a lot of most artists are liberal leaning, that still happens in this world where you think like, Oh, it's time to go and, be a mom or like a stay at home mother or whatever the case, or I can't do that. And I find that such a, um, again, like I can't, that's not an experience I have, but like I, I empathize for that on that side. Yeah, that's, that's, that's important. Um, you know, it's, it's real life. 
people have babies. That's how we keep going, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I, I, I do feel like people are becoming more accepting of real life every day. Um, there's a song on the record called what I'm looking for that I wrote, um, last year. Um, just after I was told by my doctor that I would not, that I missed the chance for having children, um, without going too far into detail, just like that. I basically am too old (laughs) to have kids. Um, not that it was necessarily a big goal of mine. You know, like I said, I've always thought like no kids, I can't do kids and tour, you know, um, I'll, I'll get to it someday, maybe. But, um, when I was given that news, it really made me step back and look at my life and say like, what am I doing exactly? Where am I going with this whole thing? Because at a certain point it feels like, am I going to miss out on life because I'm, I'm chasing this dream that I may or may not ever realize Mm -hmm. am I going to wake up in 10 years and say fuck I have nothing to show for my life except a couple of records that I made um so yeah that 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 thought and particularly just um trying to to decide what's most important to me that, that all made its way in, into this record. I think um, really wanting to take control of my, my own destiny, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it, it all relates back to this like image thing that we have, right. Where it's like, we want you guys to be real. We want you to write about these really raw feelings, but then also like, None of the baggage. Be single, be hot, yeah, be young. None of the baggage <laughs> attached to that stuff, right? It's like, and I'll, I'm throwing another in, or another sports analogy out there, but it's like, that's super big in, in sports too, where it's like, we want all of our, you know, our professional athletes to be engaging and have these like really amazing personalities and do all these great commercials and just be off the cuff until they say something real. And then it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's too real. Right. So I think like that's the same thing with, with y'all as far as like be real and be vibrant and be the, the rock and roll star. Um, but only do it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> please don't have an opinion and please don't air it if you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, what I was also wanting to ask about with in connection to this is, yeah, like I think there is this dialogue and there is a lot more people being um okay with with themselves um earlier on i guess as artists but like right now since there is the pandemic since there are virtually no shows how much of it do you feel or or is there any hesitation do you feel like where it's not going to necessarily be easy as far as equal ground equal footing going forward as far as like stuff that really matters as far as touring and like lineups and because like, it feels like there's still such a, a lean towards there not being a lot of women headlining shows. And you've seen plenty of festival lineups where they have everyone and they take all the men names off and it's like four or five, maybe women on mm-hmm. the, the bill. I guess like when it goes to that, like what, is there any hesitation? Is there any, like, what do you feel about that? I guess I'll just stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So I guess I'm taking from your question, women's place in music. Do I see it changing? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Well, do you think like all of this is like maybe lip service from the, the lip, the, like the, the industry, I guess, like, no, I don't. And I'll tell you why. Okay. There's, there's so many people involved in getting a record out to you to the, to the general public. There's, um, from the, from, you know, it starts with the songwriting obviously. And then 
it gets produced and made with the musicians in the studio and then it gets mixed and it gets mastered. And then there's the person who makes the artwork for the album. And then there's this whole other side of the business that's not associated with making the records. And I know you probably know most of this, but those are the people that are distributing your records um, online, getting it onto Spotify or iTunes or Apple music or getting it into stores. Um, There's people that are, um, running sound at venues when you go play shows. There are people who are booking the shows at venues. There are tour managers, people that are getting the band where they need to go, that are booking all the hotel rooms and dealing with all the travel travel logistics. And the list just goes on and on and on. For you to see a show or hear a record, there are so many more in people more people involved than most people realize. And the reason I know that that the business is changing is because a large number of those people are women now mm-hmm. and they're kicking ass. And, um, a large number of people that are working on my team are women. I just realized it one day. I was like, wow, everyone on this, on the business side over here and on my team is, is a female. That's amazing. Cause there was a time when that, you know, definitely was not the case. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point. Yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I on my side, I don't know. I guess like I'm, I'm very, I can be very negative about things, very glass half empty, and go, you know, is it just going to be, yeah, 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 sure, and like when things go back to normal, just kind of going, well, it wasn't the, we can't do it now, but yeah, like the, I guess like just having, that's with anything, I think for change to happen, for there being. Uh, an understanding on a voice on the other side is when you have more diversity in the room, you understand better, like you, everything basically, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I th- I think that we definitely have um, a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see women playing lead guitar. Now I see women producing records and engineering records and running sound at venues and lights at venues and, you know, writing film scores. And, um, and th- that's just going to continue to increase, I think. And that's another reason, again, that I made this record on my own. It's like, I want to demonstrate to other women that they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great record. And I think like, it's just, it's a great message as well. And I think a lot of people are going to understand that. So, um, good. I hope so. Yeah. Well, it's been really, really great talking with you. I think we've had, a, we've covered a lot of great subjects here. Yeah, we have. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you as well. All right. That is it for this one. Thanks so much to Lyra for taking the time. Check out her new album called on my own out this Friday, October 23rd. Go stop over at our partners over at Desert Door, The Blue Light Live, and Wild Gallery. All those links are in the show notes. Check out the Patreon feed if you haven't yet. Stop by the merch store. And yeah, I'll see y'all next week for more new slang.